Well, good morning. So thankful for the privilege and the uh, gracious invitation and introduction. This is a humbling experience, and I am just so grateful for, to God and to the Bible faculty and the other students who voted. I joked with some of the other guys. I said, I don't know, is it, is it a win to, to, to get voted to preach in chapel? I mean, it's more pressure. <laughs> Maybe there's a punishment. No, I'm just kidding. It's, I do. I counter privilege. So thankful for this opportunity and just excited to share the Word of God with us this morning. I'd ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 this morning. My dad texted me this morning and said, he's the director at Southland Christian Camp, and said that the Bridge to Campus students would be watching, told me I should say hi, so hello on the live stream to Southland and the Bridge students down there. Thankful for that ministry and the impact that's had on my life. Super thankful to be able to partner for Southland that can partner with Maranatha in that Bridge to Campus ministry. It's a wonderful opportunity. Well, we're looking at a text this morning in Matthew chapter 9 that over the past year has become very special to me personally. It's a text that has convicted me, has challenged me, and has motivated me in my walk with the Lord. And I just want to share some simple truths with you from the Word of God that maybe will just inspire you to be what God would have you to be. Back in 2019, there was an article published that was seeking to draw attention to a catastrophe, a disaster that was taking place in the state of California. And that was that the fields of the southern part of California were not producing like they normally do. Now, it's important to know that the state of California has an annual income in the agricultural industry of $50 billion. They're making a lot of money off of what grows from the ground. As a matter of fact, more than 90% of our broccoli, celery, avocados, tangerines, mandarins, and nectarines all come from the state of California. And nearly 80% of our cauliflower, apricots, strawberries, raspberries, grapes, and lemons also come from California. California is an important state if you like to eat. And all God's people said, amen, right? It's an important state. So it's interesting that the state was losing billions and billions of dollars on an industry that they were making loads of money on in the past. But in 2019, the problem was not that the ground was rough. The, the problem wasn't that they didn't have enough rain. There wasn't a drought. The problem was there were not enough workers. As a matter of fact, one farmer put it this way. He said, we have the crops, but not enough workers to harvest them. It should be a crime. The idea that we would let this happen in a, in a state, in a nation with our agricultural resources. This is unbelievable. Well, today I'd like us to consider a harvest, a much greater harvest, one that pales in comparison to, uh, to the state of California, a much larger thing that is going on in our world today, and the same problem is occurring, and that is workers are needed, laborers are needed. Of course, we're talking about lost souls. We're talking about a lost and dying world who, is, who are dying without the gospel. And so we come here to Matthew chapter 9 in the midst of a busy time in the ministry and life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Already in Matthew chapter 9, Christ has healed a paralytic and forgiven him of his sins. In verse 9, he calls Matthew. He says, leave your booth, leave your tax collecting, come and follow me. In verses 10 to 13, he eats with sinners 
Then he, he's fasting in the, in the dawning of the messianic joy in verses 14 through 17. And then he raises a girl and heals a woman in verses 18 through 26. He heals two blind men and a dumb man. Jesus is a, a busy, busy with ministry, busy with impacting the lives of others. And we come to verse 35 and we see the actions Jesus Christ was taking in his ministry. I'd like us to notice and read in verse 35 through 38 where the Bible says this, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You know what Jesus Christ was trying to get his disciples to see? There is a lost and a dying world that needs me. There is a world that is in need of the gospel. And listen, the, the problem is not that there is not a need. The problem is not that there are not crops. There is not a harvest to be gathered. The problem is there are too few laborers. And just like that situation in 2019 in the state of California, Christ says, we just need workers. Where are the, where are the Christ followers? Where are the disciples who will take up their cross, follow me, and take the gospel to the world? And here in this text, we see an example, an illustration in the life of Jesus Christ, of how he was practicing this, but then also how he commanded his disciples to go. Are you thankful for Jesus Christ this morning? He's our high priest. He's our intercessor. He's, he died for us. But he's also our example of how we must live, how we must follow after him. And so I want to communicate to us this simple idea that Every Christian must follow Christ's example of laboring for lost souls. Can I say that one more time? Every Christian, you, me, the person sitting next to you, every Christ follower, follower must imitate, must follow Christ's example of laboring for lost souls. You know, we're prone as sinners, as wanderers, as pilgrims in this land to stray from Christ-likeness. Right? It's not our natural tendency to be like Christ. And that's why we need this challenge this morning. That's why we need God's word. That's why we need Christ as an example so that we can know not only how to live, but why. How we live and, and why. We are followers of Christ. And so, this morning I'd like us to notice four responsibilities of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Four ways that we can imitate, that we can follow in Christ's example to be laborers for lost souls. I want us to notice, first of all, that disciples of Christ who want to make an impact, who want to labor in the fields for Jesus Christ and the, the sake of the gospel, disciples of Christ must commit to the harvest. We must be committed to the harvest. Verse 35 gives us a, a clear picture of the pattern that Christ was setting in his ministry. The Bible says that Jesus went about all the cities and villages. It's amazing to me as we read throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
we see the, the ministry of Jesus Christ and how he was busy. He was committed. He loved people. He wanted to get to know people. He wanted to help people. This word to, to go or to, to, that he went is used six times in the New Testament, and it has the idea of traveling around or going about. It's used in Matthew 4.23 when the Bible says that Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. So it's clear that, that Christ was actively involved in ministering to the lost, to the hurting. I think one of the greatest dangers in the church today is that Christians are just sitting idly by. Okay, maybe you're aware of lost souls. Maybe you, you recognize that fact. But we're sitting on our spiritual couches, if you will, just happy to let the world go by, just happy to let our lives pass by and just kind of, kind of just live our own lives. God's looking for some Christians who will be committed to this harvest, who will, who will say, that's, that's what I want to do. That's how I'm going to follow Christ. Some people that will go this is the Great Commission, of course. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Are you going? Are you committed? Are you committed to this harvest? It's a simple idea, but every Christian has to get this in their mind that they should be working to impact others by living a life committed to winning souls, committed to loving other people. This is, it's a command, right? It's, it's the Great Commission. It's a command, but it's also a privilege to be committed to a cause that is so much bigger than ourselves. So much grander than just what's happening right here at Maranatha. So much bigger than just what's happening in Wisconsin. It's, this is a worldwide mission that spans all time, all culture, and every century. This is a, a mission for the church. A mission for every Christian who ever walks the face of this earth to be committed to go and be committed to the harvest. And so I want to ask you this morning, are you committed? Is your life exemplifying this type of commitment that Christ had? The verse says that he was teaching and preaching and healing. Those are the types of things that we don't do exactly. We do preach and we do teach. We don't heal like Christ healed. He had amazing power, but the idea is that he cared. He, he wanted people to grow. He wanted to see people to meet their needs. And, and that must be our desire. That must be our commitment today. David Brannard was a missionary to the American Indians, and he said this in his journal. He said, I care not where I go or how I live or what I endure so that I may save souls. When I sleep, I dream of them. When I awake, they are first in my thoughts. What an illustration of commitment to the harvest. And this is how we labor for Christ. We must be committed. But I want us to notice second of all this morning, for us to labor in the fields for Christ, for us to be committed Christ followers in this matter of soul winning, disciples of Christ must concentrate on the harvest. Disciples of Christ must concentrate on the harvest. Verse 36 says this, but when he saw the multitudes. It's a small word, but it's an important one. He saw the multitudes. This is the Greek word edon. It is to see, to pay attention to, to understand, to visit, to experience, or to learn about. 
It is not simply a glance like we, we glance at our textbooks sometimes, right? It's, oh, I got it, I got it. No, it is, it's a deep study. It's a, it's a desire to get to know somebody. You know, you go to lunch and you sit down with one person, one friend. This is the word. You want to get to know them. You want to engage in their lives. You, you see them not just with your physical eyes, but you see them with your heart and you see the needs, right? This word is used in John 4.35 that says, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. That word look, same exact word, for they are white already to harvest. So Christ was not just committed. He was not just going about, but he was also noticing some things. He was concentrated on the hurting, on the lost. He was engaging with them and he noticed them. And as simple a point as this may seem, how difficult is it for us sometimes to focus on others. Bible says, look not every man on his own thing, on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. I think our generation, one of the greatest struggles that we have is selfishness, is pride. We like to be so concentrated on our own needs, our own wants, our own desires, our own goals, our own friends, our own school, that we're missing something that's going on in the world that is so much larger. We're missing the fields. We're missing the harvest because we're too consumed with our comfort. We're too consumed with our own personal gain. And, and Christ says, you must be concentrated on the harvest. He exemplified this. He illustrates this for us. He, he saw them. He saw the potential that they had for, for being one to, to the gospel. So I ask you this morning, who are you focused on? In your daily life, as you go about your school here at Maranatha, as you go about our community in Watertown, 24,000 people in Watertown, I wonder, when was the last time that you concentrated on a lost soul right here in Watertown? When was the last time you passed out a gospel track right here in Watertown? Oh, Michael, we're in college. We're, we're just here to train. We're not here to make a difference. Really. We are here to make a difference. It doesn't matter what generation you're in. It doesn't matter your age, your education level. We're all disciples of Jesus Christ as Christians. We got to be concentrated on this need, concentrated on the harvest. This means engaging with people. This means talking to people, handing a gospel track, starting a gospel conversation with the lady at Quick Trip, talking to the person in the aisle at Walmart. This means engaging with people even right here at Maranatha in gospel conversations, talking about what God is doing in your life. This is so vitally important that we would, we would get our eyes off of ourselves and on to the needs of others, on the needs of the lost and on the needs of the lonely. Concentrate on the field. Christ was the perfect illustration, perfect example of this type of ministry. You know, as we sit here on the campus of Maranatha, we look forward a lot, right? We look forward to our future. We look forward to who we're going to marry. We look forward to what, what occupation we're going to have. We look forward to how God is going to use us in the future. Can I just encourage you? Don't look forward so much that you can't look at today. Don't look forward that you, don't look forward so much that you miss what God could do with your life right here at Maranatha. 
This is so important, and it's so easy to become distracted by good things that we miss this command to go be concentrated on the harvest. And so we must be committed. We must be concentrated. But I want us to notice third this morning, to be a true imitator of this type of laboring in the fields for Christ, winning souls, we must, number three, care for the harvest. Verse 36 goes on and he says, the Bible says, when he, Christ, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. This word, moved with compassion, is an awesome word. It's only used 12 times in the New Testament. It has the idea of literally eating at the inner parts of somebody. It's, it's used in the gospel several times of Christ himself. In Matthew 14, 1, Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion. Matthew 15, 32, Jesus called his disciples unto him and he said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days. In Matthew 20, verse 34, the Bible says, So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. In Luke 15, 2, in the, the, the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son, the Bible says that he arose, that's the, fa- or the son, and he came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and he had compassion on him. This is a word that is not, again, it's not just a surface, oh, yes, I care, I care for the harvest. It's not passive, it's active. It's something that's happening inside the person. It's something that is eating away at the inner heart. It is a burden that is developed for the mission field. It is a burden that is developed for that lost coworker. Where you get on your knees and you say, God, this person is lost. They need you more than anything else. It is what you pray about. It is what you think about. It is what your heart cries for and yearns for. And here's the word that is used to describe Christ's heart for the harvest. He had compassion on them. He cared for the harvest. And then he he gives reasons for why. Why was Christ moved with compassion? Well, because they fainted and they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. They fainted has the idea of being harassed. They were being abused, in a sense, by the scribes and the Pharisees in the Old Testament law. They were under a weight. Praise God, he that Christ came to redeem us from the law. Thankful for that this morning. But they were also scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. They, they were helpless. So they were harassed and they were helpless. And this is what motivated, this is what compelled Christ to have this type of care. And by the way, aren't you thankful this morning for the good shepherd, as we sang about Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He's your shepherd too. You don't have to want, you don't have to, to worry or wonder. He's there for you. I'm thankful for that this morning. And so Christ exemplifies this care, this deep compassion. I don't know how many of you have ever had the privilege of going to the mission field, but if you have, you'll be able to identify and, um, with the illustration that I'm about, about to give. Back in 2017, I had the opportunity to go to the country of the Philippines and went with a group of guys. Stephen Wilkerson was there, Jonathan Murphy, and my brother Malachi and I, and a group of guys all play basketball. We went uh, to have a basketball missions trip. And when I heard that for the first time, I said, man, that's pretty awesome. We get to preach the gospel and play basketball. Man, that's a pretty good combination right there. So we were over there for about 10 10 days and uh, had some basketball clinics, and then we would give the gospel. And praise the Lord, we saw many souls saved. Well, we, we had one experience that 
If you ask any of those guys that went on that trip, they would tell you the pinnacle of that trip was about halfway through, about day five, day six. We had gone out after a long day of basketball and ministry, and we went to Chili's in Manila, Philippines, and we were on our way back to our hotel. Now, in the Philippines, they have these very special vehicles that you get to travel in. Very cool. Nothing like we have here in America, okay? They're called jeepneys, and they are like a bus-looking type jeep. They're a little bit longer, a little bit bigger, and they're open air. So no windows, no doors. You know, you can kind of just see out on the streets, smell the smells, see the sights, hear the sounds. It's a pretty cool experience. Well, it was probably 8 o'clock at night, and we were on our way back to the hotel, riding in that jeepney, about 12 of us guys, you know, macho high school basketball players. We were having a good time. We pull up to a stoplight right there, downtown Manila, Philippines, and we're sitting and talking, and these two young, very young boys come up to the back of the jeepney, open, open door, very little clothing on, clearly homeless. They began to beg us for food, anything. What, what do you have? What, what do you have to, to give us? Clothing, food, shelter, any, anything. And they're broken English. We had some food that we gave to them, some chips from Chili's. And, and as we pulled away from that experience of just looking and seeing those young men on the streets of Manila, Philippines, I handed them some food, and as we pulled away, I, I turned around, and each guy in the jeepney was just tearing up and bawling. Why? Because they saw and they were moved with compassion. I often think to myself how I, I wish I could take that type of experience, bottle it up, and bring it back to America to the teenagers, to the college students, to the adults, and say, this is the type of compassion that we have to have for lost souls. They're helpless, they're lost, and they're dying. And who's winning them to Christ? Christians in America are sitting idly by with little care, little concern for gospel ministry. And Christ comes and he exemplifies this. He was moved with compassion. Can I just ask you, when was the last time you got down on your knees and you wept for a lost soul? Listen, it's not about the emotion. It's about being moved with compassion because you know the need. You know the state of a lost soul. The most caring thing that a, can, a Christian can ever do is see a lost soul be moved with compassion, know the need, and give them the gospel. Care will always motivate action. And if it doesn't, it probably isn't real care. We see this in relationships in our own lives. People say they care, but they don't act like it. And what I'm telling us today, to be in the harvest is to care for lost souls. To see the need and to give the gospel. And so I ask you this morning, does that characterize your gospel testimony? Your gospel witness right now? So this is what it means to labor in the fields. We, we got to be committed. We got to be concerned. We got to be concentrated. We must be caring for the harvest but I want us to notice finally this morning that disciples of Christ must cry out for harvesters. 
Verse 38 says this, I'm sorry, verse 37, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Here is the command that Christ gives to his disciples. Upon seeing and being moved with compassion, pray, cry out for more harvesters. We see here in verse 37 the extensive surplus. The harvest is plenteous. But then there's an evident shortage. There's, there's not enough laborers. And then Christ gives the exact solution, pray. You know what the church needs? It doesn't need more programs. It doesn't need more pamphlets. It doesn't need more, just more people. It needs some people of God, some disciples of Jesus Christ, who are on their knees for the harvest and for more harvesters. Some Christians who will say, God, send more people to the mission field. Send me to the mission field. Send me to that coworker. Send somebody to that coworker to reinforce the gospel message. And Christ commands and his, it expresses his desire that we pray for laborers in the harvest field. This is why Christ lays out the need and then gives a solution to the problem. He says, there's a harvest, but there's no laborers. Now, Christian, here's what you do. Disciple of Christ, here's what you do. Pray. Pray for harvesters. Matthew Henry put it this way. He said, The melancholy aspect of the times and the deplorable state of precious souls should much excite and quicken prayer. When things look discouraging, we should pray more, and then we should complain and fear less. Pray for harvesters. Pray for the harvest. Pray for lost souls. Cry out. This word has the idea of imploring, begging, or literally the formal way of saying, please. It's as, as if we're going to God saying, Lord, please send more harvesters. And at the same time saying, here am I. Send me. As we commit ourselves to the harvest and we concentrate on the harvest and we, we care for the harvest, we will be led to cry out, to pray for more harvesters, to go into the fields, to win lost souls. And so I want to ask, do you pray for the harvest? Do you pray for lost souls? Do you pray for more laborers to go into the field? You know, in 2019 in, in California, that was, that was an issue. They lost a lot of money. They lost billions of dollars because there weren't laborers. But I hope you understand this morning that the loss is much greater in the Lord's harvest. When there are not laborers to go into the fields and to share the gospel, to win souls to Jesus Christ, no money could buy those lost souls back. This is a great need for us today. And I wonder if Christ were to come here today and he were to look at the Monday chapel at Maranatha Baptist University and look at these students here today, look at this life, look at the faculty and staff here at Maranatha, would he find a group of laborers? Or would he see the fields of Watertown ready to harvest? The fields of America ready to harvest and a passive, apathetic, lethargic Maranatha Baptist University student body. Man, I pray that God would inspire us. He would initiate this passion that Christ had for the lost. That we would concentrate on them, we would care for them, and we would cry out as we commit ourselves to following Christ's example of laboring for lost souls.
Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the power that it has on our lives. Lord, we know that your word is truth. The gospel still works. And for that, we are so grateful. You have shined the gospel and the truth into our hearts as believers. Help us not to hide our light under a bushel, but help it to shine, shine, shine. May we be laborers in your harvest fields. There's much work to do, but the laborers are few. And Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Give us vision. Give us a sight of the lost world and help us to be committed. Followers of Christ that would labor, that would seek you first, that would labor in your fields, and then that we would cry out for more harvesters. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power that it has on our lives. I pray that you would bless us as we go from here out into the harvest fields today. We would notice the needs of others. We would be selfless individuals. Thank you for being that example to us, Lord. We praise you for that this morning. We love you so much. Thank you for loving us first. And thank you for salvation. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.